This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. I'd like to welcome Christian Terwish to Knowledge at Wharton. He's a professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions, and he's here to discuss two papers that he co-authored, both related to electronic visits to doctor's offices, but also other connected technologies uh, when it comes to monitoring patient health and outcomes. Welcome, Professor. Hey, thanks for having me here at Knowledge at Wharton. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, so I'd like to ask you about these two papers that you co-authored. In the first one, let's talk about that uh, starting out. You find that patients using electronic visits, which I take it to be um, email or texting and, and telephone calls, is that right? or is there? Are, are we there... look primarily at these patient portals and the secure messaging they're in. Okay. But I think the theme expands certainly through phone calls and messaging as through text and SMS as well. Okay, so you looked at, um, you looked at a lot of people in this study. I think it was 100,000 or so. Uh, so large, large population. And what you found, I think, is that those electronic visits end up increasing the number of office visits that those patients have with physicians, which was maybe the opposite of what was intended. It was, I think, thought or hoped that those, uh, those e-visits would help to uh, increase, increase efficiency and productivity so that some interactions could be done online, which would save everybody time and money. So um, that was one thing. And then I think, uh, well, why don't, you, why don't you start with just giving me the overall view of the study and, and what was found? So imagine you would be my primary care provider, Stephen, and so I'm as your patient. I want to get in touch with you. I have, you know, something hurts or I kind of have something I want to talk with you about. The old days were very simple, right? I would just come to your office, make an appointment and see you. And that was the traditional way of delivering care. Uh, Then with telephones coming in, of course, at some point there was a hope that I could call you. Calling is really a a pain because you and I have to be on the line at the same moment. So I typically would leave a message in the practice. The practice would give the message to the doctor. The doctor at some time might call me back at that point I might not be home and calling each other. Calling is a synchronous technology and that's really a pain. And so with email kind of advancing kind of over the last 20 years, 25 years, uh, this idea that you just email your doctor is very appealing, right? In fact, many healthcare systems have gotten to the point where you have an app now and you can press on the app and you can connect you with your care team, right? This extra connectivity looks really appealing to all of us. Now, there's a little bit of a kind of flaw in that argument in the sense that now that it is easier for me to connect, will I connect more often? Right? So, I mean, one story you could be telling me, we call this the substitution effect. My doctoral student was now a professor at the University of Wisconsin, Hassan and Babafa, and I were working on this. And we thought, like, okay, maybe these new technologies, it will substitute for the office visit, in which case the physician, the provider, becomes more efficient. They can just see more patients. They have saved themselves time. That would be... That would Logically, be the, uh, what an outsider would hope and expect. That's, I, I think, the default assumption, right? right? It's very plausible. It's a substitution effect. Mm-hmm. You don't see your travel agent anymore. Heck, mm-hmm. you don't have a travel agent anymore since right. we have Expedia, right? right? So connectivity, I think, has this flavor or this potential of making things just more efficient. Um, the alternative hypothesis, we call this a gateway hypothesis. Mm-hmm. In some sense, I have now an easy gateway into the system 
And so rather than serving as a substitute, that new connectivity is serving like a gateway, like a portal, that's hence the way patient portal, of me connecting to the healthcare system. And now that the connectivity is so much easier, I start consuming more. Right? Think about how you're using the internet. Mm-hmm. Compare Wikipedia maybe with your good old Britannica. It's not just that you have replaced your Britannica. I think most of us are actually also searching more often and so suddenly, while we are searching more efficiently, actually the whole search consumption has gone up. Now, in the case of Wikipedia, that's no big deal because that thing is automated. But when it comes to our doctors, they are not, right? And so I think that that led to the result that we found. Again, I, I think, as you described, not necessarily what we expected, um, this effect that now that I have an easy gateway into the system, I'm actually requiring more hours or more minutes from my care provider than now, before. Now, one, uh, one side note to that is that that may be good for the patient, but on the doctor's side, they're not reimbursed from Medicare or Medicaid. I don't know what happens with other patients, right? So there could actually be a loss of revenue uh, to the doctor or to the practice. So here we have to decide, uh, distinguish between various forms that doctors are compensated, right? In the kind of in the extreme case, which we rarely have in the U.S., short of some kind of local variants of that, like the Veterans Administration. In the extreme case, we're all working in the same systems, right? It's like a single payer policy, in which case the doctor is just there to keep me well, and so all the costs are going to the same entity. The other extreme is fee-for-service, where every time that you and I interact, there's kind of some form of a cash register ringing. Um, in the fee-for-service world, of course, this idea that I'm now consuming more care might actually be a good thing for the healthcare system, right? In the kind of single-payer model, uh, it's a little different of a story. And then there are various forms of in-between models where we get compensated as physicians for some things and we don't provide compensation for uh, physicians for other things. Uh, again, I think right now the, the we have the, we have the complexity of these contracts are exploding, and it, it depends a lot on which doctors you see and what type of contracts they have. So, so in this first paper, a sort of bottom line, it seems to me, is is that there's unexpected consequences, unintended consequences. Uh, patients are using it more. And not only is that um, is that taking up more doctor time, but that leaves less time for doctors to see other patients. Absolutely, right? I mean, we really have to remember here that doctors are a scarce resource, especially in some fields such as primary care. I mean, you see some really scary numbers going through the field right now. In dermatology, we have a big shortage in the U.S. Uh, so when you are taking more time per patient, Something else has to yield. It's not that the physicians were playing minesweeper there in their in, in their office before. Physicians have always been busy, and so I think you see at least two effects right now. One is this kind of it, it basically starts to force other people out, and since the, the physician cannot like literally kick out patients from their panel saying like, "Well, look, I don't, Steve, I don't see you anymore," mm-hmm. uh, the 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 price here is paid through access for new patients, right? And you see this in in many settings where you give practices a call and you say like, well, I'm a new patient. I have no pre-existing relationship. And they might say like, sorry, I mean, we're just full. Or mm-hmm. they tell you, well, come come back in six months. Not you taking say, new like, patients. Yeah. You say like in six months, I'm either healthy or dead. But that doesn't, mm-hmm. we, we call this dimension the access. The other element, which I think we, we see a problem on the physician side, something that we haven't researched in this paper, but uh, folks at Wisconsin are doing really interesting research right now, is just the effect of physician burnout, right? Because these emails, these messages, 
I know this as a professor and, you know, professor who is kind of pretty diligent answering uh, his emails. Uh, it used to be that you see the, phys- the, the your students during office hours, right? And so now with, with email, you get these messages basically 24-7. And uh, you see that basically creep more and more into that personal life. Uh, where on the physician front, uh, we have very good data from studies done by the Mayo Clinic uh, that physician burnout uh, stress levels have gone through the roof in the last couple of years. And so I think they are paying the price by not getting extra compensation, but by by somehow having this expectation that all of that is added to them as a kind of on on top of their regular job. Like they're always on. Um, Always on call. So two things I just wanted to mention. I believe the paper noted that as far as squeezing out new patients or or the e-visits taking up extra time, that there was a 15% reduction in time that, that physicians could devote to to other patients. So To new patients. To new yeah, patients. Yeah. So not only did they did they have more time taken up, they also were losing this ability to take on new, new patients. Uh, but also, what I mean, one key question is, did it at least improve patient outcomes or not? We did not find significant effects on the outcome side. And again, I think, as you mentioned, something has to yield, right? I mean, if I'm already working at capacity, especially primary care is working at capacity, and I give them more work, something has to yield. And so the weakest spot typically in a healthcare operation are the new patients because they have no connection and not really out of evil intent, but just to the natural process of appointment booking and kind of going through the front desk. At some point, the front desk will just say like, sorry, we are full. And so at that point, basically somebody is paying. But the irony, of course, is for the people looking at the practice, for the people just studying that practice in isolation, they don't see these patients, right? Because they're not showing up in any of their medical records. They're not these calls oftentimes when I would call you, say, like, Stephen, I need to see you for my knee pain. And when can I see you next? And you say, like, well, you know, April 2019, say, like, well, I'm not coming. Well, that that leaves no data trail behind. And so basically... I would argue that these kind of these patients who are not getting onto the panel are oftentimes ignored, and that's the ones unfortunately pay the price. So, uh, before we get all too discouraged about the value of of electronic medicine, um, I think that it's very interesting that your second paper sort of raises the hope. So, the first paper identifies these challenges, um, and then I think in some ways your second paper looks at not just that specific challenge, but in general how technology can help meet the promise of of making things more efficient, more productive, and hopefully improving patient outcomes at the same time. Hopefully, right? There is uh, So these two papers, the first paper was my doctoral student, now professor at Wisconsin, Hassan Bavafa. The second paper was my colleagues here at the Penn Medical School, David Ash and Kevin Walp. Um, the second paper really starts off with that observation that we're all talking about connected healthcare and you know, heck, if you ask somebody you want to be working in connected healthcare or in disconnected healthcare, right? We we all like connections, right? Connections sounds good, but they have this effect that you and I just talked about, that more connection has this ability of kind of the doctor use, now sees things that they in the past wouldn't see, right? And so lots of things that in the past, you know, I had a little boo-boo, I, you know, didn't sleep well, and so... 
Now that the gateway effect is there, so now that's so easy to just press a button on my smartphone and connect with my care team, um, there's just lots of stuff where in the past I would have just slept over another night and it would have just resolved naturally. There's just lots of noise coming to the um, desk of the physician. It's a hypochondriac's dream, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think it's only human, right? right. I, I think again, we're talking with our, we're talking about our health here, and health is uh, is very complex, and uh, it's not getting easier. And so, um, this idea of connecting again, I think we all want to be connected, but connectivity alone does not solve the problem. And so, I think where we see the opportunity now is pairing that connectivity with some form of an alternative workflow, right? We need some form of leverage because we're putting more work on the physician. So something has to yield. And I think there are really three levers here. The first one is a change in workforce, right? It's just basically empowering non-physicians to do certain things according to rules, but do certain things without going to the physician. We need to shield that bottleneck. That's a general lesson in operations management. Just, just don't waste your bottleneck capacity, and the physician is the bottleneck in the healthcare system. The so, second for, so, for example, there's something now, a physician's assistant or uh, uh, I think... A caseworker. There's, right. there's other titles where uh, a, a nurse with certain training is able to prescribe antibiotics for some low-level kinds of, uh, of infections. Absolutely, right? So there's this idea of the patient-centered medical home, right? It's, it's a medical home. It's no longer just the doctor. There are different roles, medication adherence, social worker responsibility. Uh, care is just more complex than what the doctor alone can take care for. And again, if you look at the uh, labor costs for these various positions, a physician, because of the expensive medical education, because it is a very demanding job is a reasonably high paid, not as much as we would like, but a physician is more expensive than a caseworker. So why would you have the physician do work that somebody could do who is a social caseworker and helps me make sure that I show up for an appointment or remind me to take the med? Mm-hmm. Um, the second lever then is some form of automation, right? Again, I think in this world of connected devices, we are connected uh, to our healthcare system, whether we want it or not. Uh, the technology is there that the healthcare system can read my vitals from my scale to my toilet, from my blood pressure to my heart rate. We're talking, some of that is already there, but it's, it's, it's a matter of years, not decades. So we are so connected that all of this data is there. So some algorithm has to form some form of a triage there, has to basically sort out what is clinically relevant and what can we let go. So that... That kind of device is the Fitbits and all of those things that might be able to read vitals or or take other information and then somehow determine when it might be a good idea for you to talk to yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? I mean, so imagine uh, you have a change in heart rate, right? I mean, so that could be a result of, of, of fluid consumption that you had. If you are kind of, you might have just you know, gone to a party, God forbid, you've been drinking too much last <laughs> night, and uh, your body shows some abnormal behavior. Now, again, that is in the system, and uh, a very simple algorithm that just has observed you every morning over the last two years will pick up very quickly that there's something abnormal, right? I mean, there's a 
whole theory of operations management we call statistical process control. Mm -hmm. It just basically tracks and looks for patterns that are abnormal. Mm -hmm. So the red light goes on, Stephen, you're abnormal this morning. So what should happen, right? Should, uh, should we just call automatically 911 and get an ambulance there? Well, maybe not. Uh, should it go to the physician? Uh, maybe not, right? Or should we just basically have a set of rules saying like, well, look, this one we don't even bring to the attention of the physician assistant, and we just ignore it. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us about the third lever. Now. Okay, so we have, we have this more connectivity. We have more things coming in. Uh, we can bring them to the doctor. That doesn't work, so we need a new workforce. We can kind of use machine learning, artificial intelligence to avoid them. In one way or the other, we have to use the patient more. Right? We have to do self-service. If you think about other industries, in some sense, when you said goodbye to your travel agent, I don't know about your travel agent. I, I don't miss mine in some sense. The convenience that you have gotten through technology is just not a cheap replacement off, but it's just a way better solution. So if we can think about what we can do through technology where we take things that right now are requiring capacity from the doctor's office, either the doctor herself or physician extenders, what can we do to have self-service kick in for that, that patients are doing these things themselves? What would be some good examples of that? Well, it's still an irony, but uh, again, if you think about many of, uh, if you just think about your last medical office visit, uh, you know, what comes to mind for most of us is you get greeted at the office and you get a pile of paperwork, right? And then so you're, you're entering your kind of your medical history, you're filling out some forms and you go like, really? I mean, why can't I check in online for a flight? but not at my physician's office, right? So a lot of these things they're asking, again, I think can be done by the patient already at home electronically. Nobody has to type these things. I think the next level up is when you think about medication compliance and medication administration. That is a huge chunk. We've done some kind of time and motion studies where we've spent time just literally stop watching what happens in the, in the doctor's office. It's a huge chunk of time in primary care. Again, if you can find the ways in which you can have patients take care of themselves more, my colleague uh, Kevin Wolf has done some really cool experiments around engaging patients by playing some form of lottery games, giving them small financial incentives. And again, you can get patients to take more, a more active role in their meds, and you can also hopefully reach out to their family and friends and kind of have them be the cheerleader. Because the physician being the cheerleader for you and me taking our meds is a very expensive way of doing things. So tell us about that lottery game to encourage compliance with meds. So again, I'm, I'm kind of referring here to sure. great work that my, my friend and colleague Kevin Volp has done. Uh, so he has done these studies in a variety of settings where we'll, he looked at weight loss, he looked at smoking cessation, and he looked at medication adherence. And the, 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 kind of the, the trick here is the same medication adherence is something where we have looked together with, also with David Ash on what happens when people get discharged from the hospital after cardiac problems. And uh, shame on us patients, but more often than not, and with kind of adherence rates that are well down into the 50 percentages, even people who have had severe cardiac problems 
would six months after discharge start falling into bad habits, right? They basically don't take their meds. So what we did in that study uh, kind of was using some of the learnings that Kevin Volpes developed and leveraged basically connected pill bottles that are connected to the internet where the research team can see whether these pill bottles have been opened or not and we take the opening process as a proxy for whether um, the patient took the meds or not. And then if we see that you haven't taken your meds for a couple of days, uh, our red light goes on and we start an intervention. And so there are kind of two types of interventions we have played around with. Um, the first one is a lottery where every every week you kind of basically are eligible for a small lottery. I mean, this is not a lottery that will win you a beach house or you know some some multi-million dollars don uh, gift, but um, you know like a ten fifteen dollar kind of little lottery for the week, and you only get that money uh, you get into that kind of into that draw if you have been compliant every day. And so I might tell you uh, on Friday afternoon, guess what, Steve? You would have won. But on Wednesday, you didn't take your meds, right? And so that, that's a way of getting patients engaged. The money is small, and if you think about the downstream consequences of non-compliance, it oftentimes can be just so much more expensive. Um, the other thing that we did is we played with your social network. So we basically had you designate a friend, a family member, who you felt like, uh, would be a kind of good cheerleader for you. And so rather than just alerting you like, hey, you haven't taken your meds the last two days, I'm going to alert your best friend from college, your grown-up daughter. I, I, I alert somebody else. And they're in a much better position to reach you and have an influence mm -hmm. on you than the physician ever could be, and not to mention that it's a much cheaper process. So I, I think of all of those as forms of self-servicing mm -hmm. the patient, uh, which, again, I, if you look at so many other industries, self-service is not just an inconvenient, cheap replacement. In most service experiences I can think of is if you empower me to self-service, I'm actually happier than I was before. Gives you con some control. You feel it puts absolutely it puts you in control. So are these things you've been talking about just now? Uh, are they actually? Did you test them and they have been shown to work? Or these are things that you're you're thinking about testing? At what stage are they? Uh, so Kevin Wolpe has done an amazing set of experiments over the last couple of years, many of them published in JAMA or the New England Journal, and has shown very great efficacy mm -hmm. of the, especially these lotteries. Mm -hmm. uh, we have done uh, experiments with the adherence, medical adherence, mm -hmm. and again, we see very substantial adherence improvements. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is stuff that is happening right here at Penn. Again, I think at the intersection between the medical school and uh, the Wharton School here. And I think that's a very hot area and something we should be very proud of here. What's uh, what's the next step for your research? You're going to continue this, I'm assuming. I just want to understand this connected user experience more. Again, I mean, I've been in this interview with you now, Steve, and I've been saying so many bad things about the increased connectivity that uh, you know, people might always say, like, well, look, there's no hope for connected healthcare. 
Um, I think it's there's just this valley we have to march through that when you move from disconnect to connect, well, you start learning a lot of new things that you didn't know before. And so initially it's going to be painful because you learn a lot of things that before you could just ignore. But I think the long run is going to get us to a world where we have more connections rather than fewer. The technology is getting cheaper as we speak. The algorithms, the AI is getting better and better. So we will get there eventually. And so I th I'm working on a project at the Mac Institute with my colleague, uh, Professor Zigokov and Nikolai Zigokov and I are working on this kind of thing about cre creating connected user experiences. So how can we use connectivity so it's not a burden for the enterprise, but it really leads to great user experiences and potentially lower fulfillment costs. Well, we look forward to speaking with you about that when you have some results. Thank you. And thanks for coming in today. Pleasure being here. Thanks, you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.